The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter uh, 5, verses 27 through 30. And it reads as follows. You have heard it say, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members and the whole body be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Rick. Well, as you can see, it's a hefty passage for us today. Especially as Jesus mentions about cutting off members and, and talks about hell itself. There must be something big about this. And I'll tell you, anytime we talk about sexuality or um, the bedroom in any way in church, it makes people uncomfortable. It's one of those places we kind of don't want God to mess with. We're like, can we just not talk about that? Maybe we can talk about that somewhere else. Why not talk about it here? Jesus is up on a mountainside. People are coming to him to hear who he is. And it kind of asks the question, is this guy for real? You know, they're kind of kicking the tires of Jesus' ministry, saying, is this somebody we can follow? And one of the main things right out of the gate is to talk about sex, talk about lust, to talk about the way we handle sexuality. And Jesus pulls no punches to let us know where he is with this. But I think it's a lot deeper and more profound than, than we may see. I'm glad to have some of my family here from Texas this morning, and they'll remember this story. But when I were in, Megan and I got married, when we left the church to go to the reception, and we were at the reception dancing, uh, we noticed that my groomsmen had not shown up. So 30 minutes, 45 minutes, hour, they just, and finally they all come in and they're kind of just disheveled and, um, and we're thinking, where have you guys been? They said, well, we had the, we were driving, we left the wedding, we all got in the car and we're all car caravanning and we kept going in Houston, Texas, you know, big city, huge city, a lot of, a lot of places to drive there. And the fact that they had this, you know, and, and this, you may have had this at a wedding or seen it where they had the little map, right, where you have kind of the cross is where the church is on the map and then the heart is where the reception is and then you know and there's a little key in the in the corner just kind of let you know where things are well they realized as they were driving about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Houston that they weren't driving to the actual place they were driving to the key in the corner to the legend these were the people I asked to represent me in my wedding I'm just telling you uh open concept there this is your pastor. Um, so they're driving, and so they come in, and they've been driving to the legend. Finally, they, somebody had to stop, and they go, what, where, where are we? And they kind of looked, and they realized the person in the front was taking them all the way to, to uh, another city. Almost, you know, they were like on their way to San Antonio, literally. Well, it's interesting when we talk about this, because you can look at a passage like this, and when those people were on the mountainside, they were listening to Jesus, they were actually probably feeling as though maybe they were in a good spot. You know, when it talks about sexuality or adultery or those kind of things, maybe 
Oh, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm doing okay. Maybe I'm in a, in a healthy with the way I treat it. But here's the, here's the scary thing about it. You can look up easily, and this is what Jesus does with the Bible. He opens up the commandments. He opens up the law, and instead of saying the letter of the law, you've either had a, an affair or you haven't. And that's not what he's saying. He's, he goes, it's more than that. We all have. He says, the law itself is saying to you and to me, if we understand it in its fruition, that we are all adulterers, that our hearts carry this. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to the right place, that we're heading down the road well, when we may be lost as anything. And here's how it happens. It happens slowly sometimes, subtly. That's what lust does. It, it, lust is, and even, we'll talk about this more, it, it is as you take it in, and lust can be described in many things, a lust for power, right? A lust for money. But here Jesus talks about a lust for others. And taking that in, what do we do with what we take into ourselves? It's interesting, there's an article in the New Yorker that was speaking on this, it was called Red Sex, Blue Sex. And it was really talking about, is there a difference in the way that it, during the political season where certain camps politically or certain regions of the country handle sexuality or talk about it? And actually, what they found and what was interesting, there was just in every place a distance between belief and behavior and sexuality. In fact, this person drew out the problem that even evangelicals have, Christians have, in the way that they approach sexuality. There's a huge gulf between the way that we handle it. And not just that, the way that we talk about it. Shouldn't we find a place? This is why we talked about shame this morning. One of the things I'm, I think we need to unpack as we look at this is how immediately we can run to shame when I talk about sex. Jesus is not calling us to shame. He's calling us to himself. I wanna start with that. So as we look at this, there are a couple things here. First is the problem with our affections. What is the problem with our affections? How do we unpack this passage to really look at how lust impacts us? And then finally, the purpose of our affections. What is the purpose? How do we make sense? How do we live differently? How do we do that? Well, the problem of our affections is, he says, our hearts. And what do we do? Now, he starts by saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, what he's doing is he's taking the seventh commandment. He's going all the way back to Exodus. He's saying, here is the Old Testament. And so they would hear that as we might, even this morning as people who might not be as accustomed to the law or the Old Testament, even if you're here this morning and you may not even be a Christian or you may be just dabbling back into Christianity or the church, you may hear that and go, okay, <clears throat> I've heard that phrase, I've heard that commandment. But Jesus takes it further and he even puts his own priority and authority into it. He says, but I say to everyone, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He moves from the commandment itself into the heart quickly. That our hearts radically want to sexualize and dehumanize those around us in order that we may take. Lust is an action of taking 
for our own building up. And it's easy for, for us to take passages like this, especially in church areas. And many of you may be coming from that background. Many of you may be extremely nervous right now, even looking at a passage like this in a church setting, because sex has been so villainized in your context or to you that you've been beaten down with it or you've been addressed in poor ways about it. And that, that, that Jesus is not saying that sex is the issue. He talks about our hearts. He doesn't talk about the, the woman is the issue. He talks about the lustful intent of our hearts. He's speaking directly to where it comes from. And it's a, lust is a powerful movement for you to grasp what you think will bring you fulfillment and satisfaction. Remember we said this earlier. You can lust for power, money, but he's speaking sexually specifically here. That we look at people or ask or desire for other people to look at us in a way that they would take us. And that's what he's talking about, that our hearts are the issues. And here's one of the ways that I think we dehumanize it in kind of our, this a modern day philosophy is, is somewhat as an undervalue of sex or treating it as appetite. You know, the Bible actually talks about this too, but that we there are passages in the Old and New Testament that say that, you know, sexuality is just a desire to be fulfilled. You know, that's a very common day thing. And to encourage you, the Bible is very not only reliable but relatable. It's also saying over and over phrases that you would hear in, in everyday culture today. That sex is a desire. It is something we have in us, right? It's something we are to fulfill, to have, to, to enjoy. But what we do with it is we've made it a simple, common desire. You have the desire, you fill it. The Bible, both Old and New Testament, talk about how we have stomachs that are made for food and food for stomach. You're hungry, you eat. But the danger is what we've done with that in our culture is make our desires something that's just, because we have it, it just needs to be satisfied. There's not a governance over our desire. We're not actually stepping back and going, wait, is that good for my health? Good for my desires to take that? There's a comparison there of sex and food even. There's an article I've, I've, I've read some time ago and it's still fascinating to me today. It's called, Is Food the New Sex? It was written by somebody who was not a Christian, someone who is evaluating the way that we have moved into an incredibly foodie culture, and listen to what she says. In just over 50 years, in other words, not for everyone, of course, but for the great many people, and for especially large portion of sophisticated people, the moral pulls of sex and food have been reversed. Food is a matter of, was, was a matter of taste, whereas sex was governed by a universal moral law of some kind. But now, it's just the reverse. In fact, just observing the world as it is, one is tempted to say that the more vehement people are about the morality of their food choices and the more hands-off they believe the rest of the world should be about sex. Isn't that interesting? Think about all the food channels we have. Think about the way that we treat our food now. Listen to what else she says. She goes on to say this. Both desires can make people do things they otherwise would not. And both are experienced at different times by men and women as the most powerful of all human drives. 
One more critical link between the appetites for sex and food is this. Listen to this. Both, if pursued without regard to consequence, can prove ruinous not only to oneself, but also to other people and even to society itself. How do we handle those desires within us? Isn't that interesting? C.S. Lewis, years ago, who's an author and, and philosopher, wrote a, kind of a, a, a diagram of this, a, a story. He talked about how food would be on stage and that there would be food with a lid over it and when, when it was revealed, everyone would just you know, salivate over the, the steak or what was on stage and how odd that sounds to us. But that is the way that we treat our desires. Do we really, are we being honest about our desires? I mean, are we being honest about where they are and what's going on with them? Because if we act on them, even, even those who may not be Christians understand that there is a, there's a detriment. There's, there's, our desires are to be understood in right context. And sex is a huge part of that. Another part is, is sex, sexuality as a commodity. This is kind of a, uh, and, and I want to say this, let me say this real quick. It is easy to read this passage because Jesus speaks of uh, male and female roles in this. We know very well today that that is not just the case, that lust is in both camps. Sexuality, uh, difficulty with pornography, those kind of things are all across the board. It's not just with men, it's with women and men equally. And all of us struggle with the issue of even if we aren't lusting after someone specifically, also deal with the desire to have people lust after us. We want people to look at us. This is where sex becomes a commodity. We want to sell ourselves in, in certain ways. And it can be so dangerous to what we think of ourselves, what we're doing in us. The eyes here, when Jesus talks about the eyes, the eyes in Hebrew were, were seen as windows. Ways that you, you actually looked through to make sense of things. You drew it in. It was something you internalized, you took, took in. So the eyes didn't just connect to just what you see, but it connected to the way you thought, the way you, you laid the grid of the world in front of you. And so often, we, 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 and it's easily done, we lay the grid of commodity in, in ourselves and in beauty and sexuality out there when we're tainting beauty, we're, we're, we're ruining the, the, the understanding of even beauty. There's a Hollywood publicist who wrote an article called Why I Hate Beauty. And he, one of the lines he said in, the, in this was, and he, again, not a Christian author. My exposure to extreme beauty is ruining my capacity to love the ordinarily beautiful women of the real world. Women who are most likely to meet my needs for deep connection and partnership of the soul. And you could exchange, exchange women and men in that sentence. That we have created such a commodity of that. Where do we know where our identity is in it? How do we make sense of sex and our own sexuality in such that way, we put so much significance in longing for others to see us a certain way and longing to see others in that. And it's such a slippery slope. Where are the ways that 
maybe you are seeking out being looked at in certain ways in your environment that may not be healthy for you, that we're not discussing, we're not talking about openly, we're just utilizing sexuality in order to get attraction to ourselves or to pursue others, to gain significance. Are we asking the questions of how beauty can be used instead of beautifully um, celebrated? How are we using these things? And it's really destroying us. It's really tearing us apart. You know, Proverbs here is interesting when it talks about this. Proverbs is an ancient book in the Old Testament that talks about wisdom. And one of the things that Proverbs talks about quite often is how beauty is used. And one of the ways that beauty in, in Proverbs does is gives us kind of a word picture for this. I think it's a well-done word picture. But it also says here in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, <clears throat> it talks about, actually further down, it talks about how um, beauty, if we take it, if we try and receive it in a way of lust, in a way of taking it, it can actually be a water that floods the streets, it says. If we don't handle beauty in its right context, sex in its right context, that it's supposed to be celebrated, it's supposed to be something we drink in, that's what Proverbs is saying. It's supposed to be a fresh, wonderful, cool drink of water. There are actual books of the Bible that are devoted to sex, actually very explicit. And in some ways, we don't ever talk about them. They're, they're often skipped, even in children's books, because certain passages or even huge chunks of the Bible are, are so important for sexuality, sex and lust, and the way that, that they go together and they tear apart identity and love. And yet this is giving us such a good word picture that if we don't handle it right, it's just like, and we live in a house, actually, that in 2010 was flooded. It was a, just, I mean, the water was really high up. And people were walking even, in, on, on, and they told me stories about how they were walking on other sides of our house up to their chest in water. And you would never think that if you, if you went in our neighborhood. But you, many of you may remember the 2010 flood in Nashville. The, 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 the Titan Stadium looked like a giant swimming pool. It was huge water all the way up. There were those horrible rumors about piranhas in the mall. You know, that was the aquarium busted and there are fish everywhere, you know. But that is the word picture Proverbs is trying to give us. That water isn't bad. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing, but what happens is it can be ruinous if we just let it go everywhere, if we don't handle it in the right context and with care. So what is the purpose? How do we do this? What is the purpose of our affections? First, he says our lives, and this may be kind of startling because Jesus begins and he says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand, in verse 30, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. There is so much ink spilled over this passage of, is Jesus saying we should actually do this? You know, I read an article in USA Today fairly recently where there was a 19-year-old boy who, because of his addiction to the internet, decided he was going to cut off his hand, 
He drove himself to the hospital in a taxi and said, well, I have an addiction. I need to cut off my hand. Is that his mom, even there was a quote saying, We've never, he's never been this kind of a boy before. Is Jesus asking us to do that? Does that actually solve the issue? If you were to take your eye out, take your hand off, what is Jesus getting at? He's getting at the fact that we need to take it seriously. Jesus knows, and he said this just a minute ago, look, the issue isn't just the actual act, it's your heart. If you cut out your heart, what happens? You're dead. Jesus is trying to be very severe in the way that we address this in our lives. Are we actually approaching what this does and how far, as I even said at the very beginning of this, how far away we can get from who we're supposed to be? That we can look up one day and be completely off the map. Because this thing can really take us, it can take every part of us. It can take our eyes, it can take our, our, our actions, our, our bodies, it takes over, it's a part of us, we're a whole person. The Bible over and over tells you and me that it's not just what's going on in here, it's also out here, that we're a whole person. That sex affects us in both body and soul. That there's a deep connection, and it's powerful. So Jesus is saying the point is that we need to display lives of purity and beauty, not of prudity. We're not to be prudes about sex. We're not to, to, to hide ourselves. We're not to not talk about it. But we are supposed to, to, to not let it run us, we run it. Just as we said about the way that water works, the way that fire works the same. Fire is a glorious thing, right? You use it to cook. You use it for also, it heats water tanks so you can take hot showers. Controlled in the right environment, it's wonderful. Out of that environment, it is ruinous and destructive. But what we typically do as Christians is say, get rid of the fire completely. We just won't use it. Get rid of water completely. No, don't. Don't go there. Because what happens when we do, what we typically do is we address this passage in law, and this is what happens. Because what we typically do is we hear a passage like this, and many of you may be doing this right now. You may say, I just need to be more, more disciplined about how I handle this. We have accountability groups. We have people that we should be talking to about it, and we don't. Look, I worked on a campus for 10 years. This is a topic I've heard nearly everything about. One of the things that I heard was when I was sitting with a group of, of students at one point, and they started talking about an onion. Are you eating the onion? And I was like, eating the onion? What are you talking about? They decided that if there was an issue, that any of them stumbled sexually, that whoever it was had to eat a whole onion raw. Just eat it like an apple. So they would always go around and go, you're going to have to eat the onion? You have to eat the onion? You know, they're constantly asking each other that question. What does that produce? I remember looking at them saying, what do you do with that? See, first off, what Jesus is saying, every one of us should be eating onions. But secondly, what an onion, the onion produces in us is shame. 
It doesn't produce growth in relationship. It doesn't produce growth in walking towards sexuality or talking about it. It causes us to say, did you do it or did you not? We oftentimes relate to sex with that way. It may not be an onion for you, but what is that? What is the law that you hold yourself to? Every one of us in here has stumbled sexually. In a room this large, I, I really feel like I need to say this, in a room this large, I'm sure there may be people in here who have actually struggled with an actual affair. And you may have read this passage in complete despair this morning. I want to encourage you in mercy and the grace of the gospel that this passage not only encourages you that we all in here are on level ground, but that our hearts should be cut out. Jesus approached a sinful woman who was caught actually in adultery, who is to be stoned by all those around. And he looked at every single one of them and said, you cast the first stone if you have not sinned. And they, she looked up and they were all gone. And she said, what, where'd they go? I said, no one's here to stone you. And then his next words to her weren't just you're free. He said, now go and sin no more. How do you live that way? It's not by the law. It's the fact that we need a new heart. It's the fact that we need faithfulness and our hearts are not that, none of us. If we're being honest with ourselves, can we look at everyone around us? Is this not why so much of our culture sees us as just prudish prudish bigots when it comes to sexuality? Because we just aren't willing to talk about it. And when we do, we may talk about it more out of law than faithfulness. And it's not because we are all so faithful. It's because the one who spoke about this is. Don't you read this? And go, well then, he ends it by, it's better to go, it's better for that you lose one of your members that your whole body go into hell. Do you not read that and go, where's the hope for me? The hope is the fact that we have a person of our affections. That's the only hope we have. The hope that we can live differently is that we have someone who meets us in that place. Look, I I really need you to understand this as we approach this table. We have messy affections, right? It's not hard for us to understand that. Even me unpacking it is probably a little bit like, yes, we do. How many of us are oftentimes entertaining the fact that we would love to have someone else lust after us? Or love to lust after someone else? to get away from it all in some relationship. Why does Jesus come the way he does? Because the only way that your affections can be transformed is if he comes in flesh. We long for flesh. We entertain it. We look for people out there and we look on our phones and we look on the computer for flesh to satisfy us. Or for someone to look at our flesh and be satisfied. We all do it. So what does God do? 
He comes in flesh. And he comes to die and give his body and blood so that your affections may be right. Praise God. How amazing is that? Is he not so infinitely wise to know the affections of our hearts are so rampant and so out there that he doesn't just say, cut off all your members. Can you imagine if we did? We'd be a room full of people without hands or eyes. But instead what he does is he cuts himself off so that you and I might be brought in and be whole. So you can see yourself beautiful. You can know that you're loved. What moves you from shame, from thinking, okay, I really do need to take serious the way that lust attacks me, it's not walking to shame, it's walking into relationship. If you're known there, you see, you're gonna leave here and you're gonna do the same thing again. You'll struggle with lust. This isn't the end of it. Let this be the beginning. And instead of leaving those doors and living in shame in it, leave them and live in relationship with Jesus and with one another. I'm amazed at God's kindness. That when you taste this body and blood, that he doesn't do so lightly. He gives his son for that. If you're here this morning, that, this is the table that's set for you. For all of us who should have our members cut off, for our whole selves to be thrown into hell, it's an invitation to you to be saved because he has been cut off for us. Let's stand and let's read.